This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Brian Kilmeade here. Thanks so much for listening. We are on the road in New Hampshire, the nation's first primary. And if you look at some of the poll numbers, it could be the last for the Republican Party if things break the president, the former president's way. Nikki Haley working hard doing multiple events, just uh, went out and decided to blame Fox and Friends for any problems she might have in the future, which was somewhat surprising, although I've been listening to her in the past. She has been taking shots at Fox, and I'm really wondering, you know, why, because I know Ron DeSantis was taking shots at Fox, and then, you know, it's pretty clear when President Trump is not happy with Fox, so I'm, I'm just pretty astounded this time around how many people blame other people. But with me right now is Kellyanne Conway. Kellyanne Conway is going to be joining us for a half hour, and then we have Pete Hexeth. I have to deal with him. Because Allison booked him. I did not like, I don't like Pete Hegseth. What is going on with that? No, Pete's going to be doing the Fox Nation coverage tonight. I'll be joining him tonight. Uh, Kellyanne, great to see you. Great to see you. Thank you. Well, you're standing up reluctantly because <laughs> you don't want me to stand up. Did someone teach you that in a bi-language class if I stand? For if, sure. Would it feel better if I sat? Would you like to sit? I'm just decorous and polite and deferential because I was raised by a woman, not a wolf. Uh, I learned uh, it a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, I'm having a bad hair morning, so thanks for the earphones. I'm not even sure I need them. Oh, really? Bad, what do you call a bad hair morning? But it just doesn't Most respond? mornings. No, no, just, <laughs> most mornings. It doesn't have the buoyancy and bounce? I've had a bad hair life. I have other assets. That, that's true. The Fox magicians over there, they'll do it up later. That's absolutely true. But you know what I noticed, too? Sometimes my hair potentially can be good. I make the wrong shampoo choice. So all blame comes back to me. Do you ever do that? Uh, no, I don't make the wrong sh- shampoo choice. I make no shampoo choice because I have three teenage daughters, which means my house is a Sephora store, and I use whatever I use their their leftovers. Just reach and just grab. Just reach and grab. All right. The polls say that the uh, former president of the United States has got a, a, a double figure lead. Uh, although Dixville notched the ceremonial opening uh, at that happens at midnight, the polls in New Hampshire won six zero to uh, Nikki Haley. What has transpired over the last few days where I have not seen a major poll that doesn't have the president up uh, in double digits, where two weeks ago I saw a Suffolk poll that had Nikki Haley within single digits, within five? That poll seemed to be an outlier compared to all the other polls, and that happens. I've been in the business for decades now. But I think what's happened is what you led with at the top of the show, Brian, which is amazingly – And somewhat frustratingly for those of us who watch how much fair and open coverage Fox News and Fox Business give to all of the candidates. We started with, what, 14, 12 candidates? They all had a a chance to come on here and shop their wares. But as the walls start closing in, as you realize you're not going to succeed, people either can be gracious or they can be a little bit obnoxious. Um, I was very surprised to see Governor DeSantis last week on his way out of the race, take a shot at Fox. Um, I've worked here 
very pleasantly as a contributor for a while now, and um, it, it would, anybody would be hard-pressed quantitatively or qualitatively to say that Ron DeSantis was denied coverage on Fox News uh, and that somehow Fox News doesn't hold others to account. But this is what happens. When you've been told by your donors and certainly your consultants and your team, and you've looked in the mirror many times, whether you're Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis, Mitt Romney, John McCain, it doesn't matter, and you've thought, I'm seeing the next president of the United States, and then you realize it's time to face the voters. And fortunately, Brian, in our great democracy, our great constitutional republic, it is the voters, not the donors, not the anchors, not the pundits, not the pollsters, the voters, we the people, we decide who our nominees and our leaders are. And so when you face the voters and you come up short of the voters, you look for other, I think, people, places, and things to blame. So we played a clip of Donald Trump saying maybe this will be the last night. You know, we used to have 14 opponents, and now we're down to one. And maybe after tomorrow night, he said that on Monday, we'll have just, it'll be just me. And this is Nikki Haley's reaction. Cut eight. In his dreams. I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> you know, I mean, what I'll tell you is, keep in mind, he got 56,000 votes in a state of 3 million. Is that what we're going to say decides in the country? And I know the political elites are saying we all need to coalesce around him. This is not a coronation. This is a democracy. And so, you know, we are going to have, you know, a strong showing today here in New Hampshire. We're headed to South Carolina. We're going to go through the tape in South Carolina, and then we're on to Super Tuesday. He, she went on to say what it was a strong, I asked her what a strong showing would be, cut nine. Is with within five points of the former president, is that a strong showing? You know, at the end of the day, you guys are going to be talking about what a strong showing is or not. Now, I don't know that you'll tell the truth, but I think at the end of the day, if you look at the fact that, yes, we are down. I've got one more fellow in the race. I didn't get here by luck. Thirteen people and I'm down to one more person. That's no, by we, outsmarting no, not, and outworking. Oh, don't worry about us not telling the I'm just saying that, like, the numbers are the numbers. It's no more. Yeah, so but what, I don't, do you, what do you think is strong? I don't think like that. What I wait is I wait and see what the numbers are and see what they look like. I don't like to predict like that. At the end of the day, it's about the energy. It's about the momentum. And it's about if it looks like we are putting up a good challenge to Donald Trump. I think we have done that up until now. Your thoughts about that? That sounds like someone knows she's going to be in a distant second uh, for the second week in a row. Second contest, a distant second. Also, I don't like this whole matter of um, attacking the voters. She's got this recent uh, habit of that you know she famously said in iowa she famously said here in new hampshire you you got to correct what iowa does iowans apparently didn't like that she came in third um over beaten by donald trump over 30 points i believe and here she's basically saying hey don't worry about iowa because that is 56,000 out of three and a half million this is the way democracy does work respectfully that sounds a little bit like hillary clinton after she lost in 2016 well i won the popular vote well, let's have a recount. Well, it's only 77,000 votes in in uh, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan. Well, that's enough, lady, because we have an electoral college system, and you knew that going in. So we can't attack the process and, by extension, attack the voters um, by coming up with those odd percentages. I, I, I hope Nikki Haley's not staying in the race for her donors because there are a number of fundraisers, these private fundraisers in these fancy homes. She talks about the political elites. Okay, their their homes. The I would say the non political elites since they always they're always wrong about who's next in the Republican Party, bless them. But she's got these fundraisers scheduled. I hope she's not staying in the race mainly for that reason. She doesn't want to disappoint them, doesn't want to miss out on that money. Because the very next contest is her home state of South Carolina, where she was the governor quite a while ago now, and she left that post early to go take a job. 
in our administration, Donald Trump. Um, and she as the UN ambassador. So that's a winner take all state, Brian. There's no poll that's ever shown her within striking distance of Donald Trump. And that is a place where she's going to be a hard time to insult the voters because they know her best. And now Donald Trump's been endorsed by the sitting governor, Henry McMaster, by a bunch of the members of Congress, certainly by the two senators there, Tim Scott, Lindsey Graham, and, and on and on. So I appreciate wanting to stay in the race. I don't love the gender card. Right. Um, you know, one lady, one fellow. That's not how this all happened. But this is, um, I have one message. I think it's time to focus on the actual president, and that's Joe Biden. I think that we need to train our fire and our eye on the guy who already has the job and doesn't deserve to have the job. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, by any metric, on any issue, according to any personal attribute, according to anybody's polling, my polling, New York Times polling, Fox News polling, CNN, you mention it, Joe Biden is underwater on his handling of every major issue, on every major personal attribute that would attract voters to give him a second term. He's seen as a failure here and abroad, and we can't afford to have him for four more years. And the longer this goes on, the longer it takes to unify and heal as a party. And uh, Nikki Haley is a woman of many talents. I would love for her to go out there and support Donald Trump as the nominee, especially while he sits in blue city courtrooms. Right. Something that has helped to not create, but consolidate, not just the base, but base plus this time. It didn't create his resurgence, but sure the heck consolidate his resurgence. People, including college-educated Republicans and independents, have said, you're not just prosecuting him, you're persecuting him. How much can one man take? If you got something on him, show it to us. You impeached him twice. You indicted him all these times. You, you tried to you tried to stop his administration from the moment he got there. He's inaugurated at noon on January 20, 2017, Brian Kilmeade. And 12, 10, 10 minutes later, the Washington Post runs a digital headline. And now the impeachment begins. So people see that for what it is, and they think it's a distraction from allowing Donald Trump for former and perhaps future president from focusing on the issues that we all care about. Right. So it's just interesting now is because uh, what poll do you look at, Kelly? And do you look at the real clear average? Well, I mean, Sometimes, yeah. Some, well, okay. sure. So that helps. So, I but mean, that's horse race stuff. I don't care about horse race. Okay. Stuff. Let's say this is uh, it is tomorrow it. night, and it's let's say it's a fifteen point Trump win in New Hampshire. Then she has five weeks to make up some ground in South uh, South, South Carolina, Carolina, but she's not in the ballot in Nevada. And that's an odd choice. I was with the Trump people last night, and they said they didn't want she to want to spend one hundred fifty thousand dollars. That's the only thing they could figure. So she's not on the ballot there. What do you do in those five weeks to change the narrative? Well, I think people are going to follow her around and say, "How much time did you spend in your home state of South Carolina?" Especially if you're not competitive in Nevada, which has both a primary caucus. A little confusing, but it's 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 again very hospitable to Donald Trump. She had one hundred fifty thousand dollars. They've all spent. Tens of millions of dollars, including on ads to attack each other. Ron DeSantis spent, folks, nine figures and focused on Iowa. He spent nine figures in Iowa. We spent nine figures to beat Hillary Clinton in 2016 in the general election. This is an absurd, an exorbitant, absurd amount of money to come up short. Do you count the super PAC money in that? Yes, of course. So you don't control- help. Do you think that people are going to reevaluate the super PACs in the future? No, they're going to reevaluate Ron DeSantis as a candidate and how these big donors all do the same thing. They are incredibly genius, wildly successful people in industries I couldn't even dream of working in and doing what they do. God bless them. And most of them are very, very nice people, by the way. I know them. But, boy, are they just chronically and consistently wrong about who's next. And you find 
pretty much every cycle, they all, with a few exceptions, go the same way. They find one horse to back, they back him early, and, and then they stay with him. I mean, Nikki wasn't their first choice. DeSantis was for the donors. She wasn't even the second choice in many of them. They went to Chris Christie and Tim Scott. It hurts to be the third choice, but I think she's going to spend the next five weeks fulfilling her obligation to these fundraisers. She's going to be in Palm Beach in Miami. She's going to be um, perhaps in New York. New York, there's a fundraiser too. But let's see if, if, if some of those folks still want their names on invitations. Right. Well, but let me ask you, if you're a fundraiser asking people for money when it's clear <clears throat> your candidacy is in trouble, why would they want to hand over money at a fundraiser? A couple of reasons. They want to know that they were against Trump till the bitter end. They don't, they can't, many of them are businessmen. I'm not talking about the guys in New York on that invitation, folks like my friend and a mentor, Ken Langone. That's different. I'm talking about a couple of the guys who are doing this in Miami. They have $16,000 a plate, maybe 20 seats. They'll get it. And they're all in finance. They've all been on Wall Street. They're the real estate executives. They still cannot believe, Brian, almost 10 years, they cannot believe that of all business guys in their peer group, Donald J. Trump became the president of the United States. What? Why not me, 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 me? I'm a business person. I'm a billionaire. Why? Would I, I can tell you why not you, 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 you. Because you can't put a sentence together most days. You can't look people in the eye. You don't connect and communicate well. Oh, and you didn't have the guts and other organs to put your name on a ballot and run. That's how you become president of the United States. And by the way, it's a hard thing to do, trust me. It is a mm-hmm. very hard thing to win the presidency of the United States. But these folks want to be on... The right list, they want to say, I was against Trump. I, it's so chaotic. I don't want chaos. They have chaos all over their private lives, by the way. It's so chaos. It's so chaotic. There's so much crisis. You know where there's chaos and crisis now? At the border, in Ukraine, in the Middle East, on our streets, in our communities, crawling over people who are defecating and urinating and homeless and, 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 and looting our stores. I mean, you, you're talking about somebody told me at dinner last night. Here at Fox, that um, Oakland is now closing. I can't remember what yep. it is. I mean, it's just nuts. So we know what we see. Gotcha. And those people need to get on. You know what they're going to do? Some of them are already calling people like me. How do I get back, get back in with Trump? I have a very special message for them. You do all these dumb acronyms in your business, ESG right. and Planned Parenthood. You know what your acronym is? USA. Right. You need to support good policy that helps this country. This country is suffering. We're bleeding out. You got to help the USA. Kelly and Conway, I'll hold on for a couple more minutes. Bottom of the hour, uh, Pete Hegseth. You'll see the Brian Kilmeade Show on the road in New Hampshire, where all the action is. Don't move. On the road to 2024, the New Hampshire primary. Trump is superior to the current incumbent, Joe Biden. He has my endorsement. He was very gracious and he endorsed me. I appreciate that. The two-person race is on. He's just not at the same level he was at 2016. I think we're seeing some of that. Keep it here on the Brian Kilmeade Show. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail from accepting payments to managing inventory. Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Late stage New Hampshire polling has been wrong before, of course. In 2008, Barack Obama was supposedly up by double digits. 
But on primary night, it was Hillary Clinton saying, Over the last week, I listened to you, and in the process, I found my own voice. Even as we sit here today, there are enough votes there to beat Trump here. So where you're left with is who can motivate that group. Finding your voice is the key. I don't think she got there till now, but she got there, and that may be enough. And that is uh, some analysis from other networks on the chances of what has to be either Nikki Haley or Donald Trump. Kellyanne Conway, we've got a few minutes here. Uh, you heard about upsets before. You talk about them, you report them, you were part of them. Do you see any of that similarities here today with so many Democrats frustrated they can't be part of the process, even though they would have to have registered back in October to flip parties? Yeah, October 6th, I think, I think was a deadline for that. That's over three months ago, Brian. Look, this is politics. Anything can happen. But I want to make clear that what's happened with Trump and his resurgence is not just because his, quote, base is loyal. It's because his base has been expanded by him. What it's now includes even more voters of color, particularly Hispanic men. It now includes more first-time voters, as we saw in the Iowa caucuses. It now includes more union households. It includes more female voters. And the reason is because people hire a person to do a job who's done the job before. That's our bias in hiring. If you wanted to hire someone today to do something here at Fox or in your at home, you are going to ask for references. Your bias is to hire someone who you know has done a good job before. That's how they look at President Trump. And one of the best things that ever happened to Donald Trump, and I think the real contours of this race, have been defined more by Joe Biden than by Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis vis-a-vis Donald Trump. People are comparing the two presidencies, the presidential records, and they're even projecting forward what a second term of Biden and a second term of Trump would be like for the country and for them personally. So in many ways... The bigger effect on Trump has not been anybody on the debate stage. He didn't participate in them. Any of the primary opponents, they kept attacking him. He barely responded. It's pretty good for Trump. Once in a while, he popped up with a response, mainly ignored them. The big issue here is how Trump has handled Joe Biden and his failures. And by, that's why Trump pivoted to a general election strategy really last summer. It was brilliant. You know, Susie Wiles and the team have done a great job. And Trump himself, you know, people say, oh, he seems so humble with with a Martha and Brett, if we could just see that gracious Trump all the time, because I've seen that gracious Trump for years. And so, so has enough people in the country. Last point I'll make about this question with your Nikki Haley, Ron DeSantis, mainstream media, the Democrats, the independents, whomever the cardinal mistake everyone has made is in spending so much obsessive time on Donald Trump, the man they've done precious little to understand. We, the people, Trump, the voters, uh, they don't know anything about what motivates people to vote for Donald Trump. It's just easier to channel yeah. your inner Joe Biden, make fun of them. But just Jim, make fun but of them. Jimmy Dimon Jimmy Jimmy nailed it yeah. last week yes, when he, he came out and said, you shouldn't be, uh, my words, you shouldn't be so arrogant to put down President Trump. A lot of people like him. They're good people. You associate, associate this, uh, you got to associate the policies, separate the policies from the man and the voter. Yes, and from, from, for every CEO who is skeptical of Trump, he's got gardeners, drivers, assistants, and, yeah. and uh, housekeepers who are voting for Trump. Kelly and Conway, it's going to be an exciting night. So glad you started yes, with us. I did. Brian Have a great day, everyone. Hexen. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. This is about to be the longest general election in American history. 
I think it's something like 287 days from Wednesday until Election Day. Now, Donald Trump tomorrow night will be the Republican nominee. Uh, if, if Ambassador Haley is wise, uh, she'll find a graceful way, as uh, Governor DeSantis did, to get out of the race. If she's unwise, uh, she will go to South Carolina and she will be decisively defeated in her home state. That is the conventional wisdom that drives the Haley camp crazy. Uh, there was a couple of polls that had Governor Haley within uh, within single digits of the president. That was two weeks ago. Since that time, and with the exit of uh, Chris Christie especially, who had in most polls 12% of the vote, was was a pretty consistent third. With that and Ron DeSantis' exit, it looks like the president's got a comfortable lead. If that indeed happens, as we welcome in Pete Hegseth, the same Pete Hegseth you see on Fox and Friends Weekend and the same Pete Hegseth who insecurely has to put his name on his clothes. <laughs> uh, I mean, it says Hegseth just in case. Just in case. Yeah, just in case. Uh, someone in your house is going to wear it. And that same Pete Hegseth who's hosting the Fox Nation coverage tonight. Watch party tonight. So while you're watching the channel, of course, turn pull up your phone or your tablet, and we're going to be at kind of a you know watch party. We're going to be watching with you, giving us our thoughts and analysis. And and someone named Brian Kilmeade is, is I think going to pop in at some. Right. I know it's going to be great. I remember the last time I popped in, I you went through a long booking process. I was waiting to do an interview with Tim Scott, and you go, Brian, you want to come on Fox Nation? So obviously, I was your first choice. <laughs> I mean, obviously, you pre-thought that well, it was. Your I was perf- I, when I got within three feet, you had to book me. It was your performance that evening that got uh, you an invite. It was the, I didn't know I was in an audition the whole night. It was. It was an audition. Absolutely. Oh wow! Congratulations. Um, no, but you do a great job on that show. It's uh, it's literally totally ad libbed. Yep, the I mean, whole thing's ad libbed. It's people just- are giving you information in your ear. You ch- you go have an expert. You have no idea what they're going to say. Pretty much. I mean, it, it's meant to be uh, the kind of conversation you might be having at home with a little bit more information. Right. Speculating about this, speculating about that. Bring on Brian Kilmeade. Bring in Rachel Campos Duffy. Bring on Jimmy Failure to have some fun, crack some jokes, maybe have a beer. Talk about uh, the night the way voters might talk about it. So with Newt Gingrich's analysis of, of how this plays out tonight, that's similar to what – Pete Hegseth is projected? I think so. I, I, I just I think DeSantis did the astute political thing. Uh, so did Chris Christie, frankly, a long time ago. If he wanted to stop Trump, dropping out in New Hampshire gave votes to Nikki Haley to give her a fighting chance. Same thing with Ramaswamy and DeSantis effectively dropping out saying, hey, we want to block the establishment wing. We're going to give it to Trump. I just don't see how if Trump wins decisively tonight, and then is ahead by 30 to 40 points in her own home state where it's winner take all that you have a plausible. This is about the best possible state Nikki Haley's going to have a moderate state with undeclared voters who can vote on primary day. Right. That's that's about as good as you can ask for. The map only gets worse for her as far as conservative Trump based states with more delegates. At some point, the donors turn off the spigot because they see the writing on the wall and they don't want to waste their money anymore. The question is, does she do it tonight if she loses or does she wait four weeks to South Carolina to confirm what everybody already knows? Let me just give you a little bit of pushback. She did walk away with delegates in Iowa. And if she gets within 10 points, there's an excellent chance she'll walk away with delegates in New Hampshire. She'll be only trailing Trump by a handful of delegates. And she actually has something to say. Why would I stop now? I'm within a handful of delegates, the most popular, well-known person in my party's history, uh, and I'm going to keep fighting, and it's going to be a rough two states, but get me to Super Tuesday, and I'll show you a victory. 
So at some point in that analysis, you have to win. And it's not – some people were making the argument, remember 2016, there were enough candidates at a second or a third or a first. Yeah. You could, you could, when it's a one-on-one matchup, at some point you need to win because you're going to have winner-take-all states and you're going to have proportional uh, delegates. And over time, Trump would grind down any opportunity that she had. I mean, if she wants to take it to Super Tuesday, she could. Uh, it's only going to get nastier. I mean, you saw this morning on Fox and Friends was a very interesting exchange uh, as she pointed a lot of fingers at the media for, for the reason why she's and not Fox. on top. And Fox in a way that I don't think draws in any new voters. I don't think it was a good look. Um, here's a little of what she said. Cut 11. As much as y'all like to sit there and say Trump's going to have this, the truth is you're not acknowledging that 70 percent of Americans don't want a Trump-Biden rematch. Both Trump and Biden, their disapproval numbers are through the roof. And y'all have yet to acknowledge that. And so what I'll tell you is, look, normal people don't look at what the political elites are saying. Normal people are not listening to what the media is saying. Normal people are saying, we want somebody that can go eight years, that's going to stop the wasteful spending of Republicans and Democrats. We want someone that's going to get our kids back on track. We want someone that's going to secure the border. You are a member of the elite media, not allowing normal people to speak. It is... uh, it, it's very that, have you ever been accused by that? Of uh, being elite media? Never. Right. I'm just not as good as you. And right. You have to be elite to be accused of being elite right. media. Yeah. And that's, that's not I've me. never heard Fox being told being called the elite media, but it's interesting. Uh, you know, I think that Nikki Haley uh, has been all over our channel. I mean, all, she she's been on three shows a day. Without Fox News Channel, Nikki Haley would be at 3% right now. Right. It's the only reason anyone out there knows who she is. She's been given every advantage, like every other candidate, to get her message out. And she used the word normal a lot there. I think that's where her that's where she missed the mark and where DeSantis missed the mark. They're, they're running sort of normie, normal Republican campaigns. Oh, we're going to – she says we're going to help the kids – what does that mean? Okay, we're going to secure the border. Okay, we kind of you're kind of for comprehensive comprehensive immigration reform. Really know what that means. A lot of platitudes. This is not a normal moment, Brian. You talk to people too. People are saying, right. "I'm losing my country. Someone go fight." And the message of a conventional campaign, a normal campaign like hers, doesn't catch hold. To me, you did run a campaign, so you do have experience. Poorly. But, uh, but I'm looking at Governor Haley, and she said for a while I was welcoming China investment in South Carolina. I didn't. Th- I, I knew there was a downside, not as much as I do now. It's become clear since 2016 that they are an adversary looking to destroy us. That wasn't really clear to me in 2016, and maybe that's on me, and maybe we as a country were slow to acknowledge that. But I acknowledge it. Okay, good. Join the club. We, you know, we didn't think for a while. Remember, Mitt Romney thought Russia was our number one geopolitical foe, and guess what? Most people thought Barack Obama was right. The Mitt Romney was wrong. He goes, the 1980s calls want their foreign policy back. Mitt Romney actually had to be right. You have to acknowledge that, you know, you tried to get Iran back into the family of nations. That's been an epic disaster, and I'm going to play it out why. Or I could say I tried. I gave it a shot. They've been an enemy since 1979. They have proven to be, uh, they've proven to be the enemy that we thought they were all along. They refused to uh, take the open hand that we gave them. Now they're going to feel the wrath. Okay. You tried a different policy. You should admit, Barack Obama, that taking out a, a missile defense in Eastern Europe was mm-hmm. a huge mistake, that Putin thought it was weakness, not acquiescence, not, not friendship. Understand that. I made, I made the adjustment. What leader doesn't make an adjustment when they make mistakes? What leader doesn't make mistakes? I just think that she denies things in her background when she should just say, yeah, 
no doubt. 2016 is a lot different than 2024. <laughs> look at someone who did that very well, Vivek Ramaswamy. I mean, talk yeah. about a guy who had a lot of different positions three, four years ago. Right. And basically said, I woke up to the reality of woke and everything else being done in my country, and now I'm fighting for, uh, for MAGA. That acknowledgement goes a really long way. I don't know. She's just reflexively very defensive. She's also gotten into the gender talk recently, the boys club and the fellas and, you know, may the best woman win. Like that may be fun and cathartic, but you're trying to get male and female votes. Democrats do. I I know you're playing into the identity politics game that a lot of Republicans are not interested. in. So, you know, Social Security's got a problem, right? Uh, Running out of money. Yep. And I know I'm not running for office. We have to raise the retirement age. She says, I want to retain, uh, raise the retirement age for people in their, like, teens now, not for this generation. Yep. That's the way she wants to balance it out because it needs to be fixed and needs to be addressed. So now she says, uh, I guess I'm lying. Cut 12. Here, Trump has lied on TV and spent millions saying I want to cut Social Security, which I never said I was. I saw that ad yesterday. Yeah, but you guys haven't talked about it. He said I was going to cut Social Security. I never said I was going to do it. He said I didn't want to secure the border. Raise the Social Security age because for the young, for the 20 somethings now. Right. What did I say? I said anybody in the system, we're not going to touch them. Those new coming into the system in the 20s, we're going to go and start reflecting life expectancy. That's different than going on TV and saying I'm going to cut Social Security. Security by 87%. That's called politics, Brian. But, but no, did I? she just repeated what you, I said and said I was wrong. You fairly characterized exactly her position. She repeated that policy position right back to you verbatim of what you said right? and then and pointed the finger. Because a lot of times Pete, in order to get on my good side, will agree with me. And then later when he walks <laughs> out, will tell Will, I had to agree with him. I was on his show. What do you want me to do? But do you agree, Allison? Right. I mean, come on. I've seen all of these ads. You, right. You've been watching them in your room. Yeah. They're, all it has to have is a shred of truth, right? And that's mm-hmm. how every political ad goes. So the reality is there was once a moment when, when Nikki Haley said um, we shouldn't treat illegals like criminals, right? That was a line that they're now running on a loop, which if you're the Trump campaign, you're going to play that up Absolutely. and say she's not as strong as me. Okay. She once said, okay, we want young people who have not yet in the system – I've, to have an amnesty or something like that. Yeah, like know. that's so, all going to come hey. back. And so, but then to get on the on the curvy couch and point a finger at you, Brian Kilmeade, and the it's your fault that you're not telling the truth. Actually, you're running twice as many uh, ads in New Hampshire than Donald Trump is. She spent twice as much. Right. In, and why do I have to refute ads that Trump bought on our station? I'm, I mean, I don't think I don't think I've talked about Social Security. At all, and I should have been. That's actually something. By that logic, you have to defend right. the my pillow too, but, as the greatest pillow of all time. Anything right. that runs, and we on know, the in my view, it's second. Right. <laughs> so I mean, what is another good pillow? Is there a number two? I like, don't know of it. I don't think we should be naming pillows anyway. No, there's. Oh, it's right at the top of my head. I can't think. I can name windows, but I can't name pillows. Right. We should be able to, and that's sure. our bad. As a, um, yeah. Uh, one thing, when Tom, we need a clock next time. Oh, it is a digital clock. Not with big hands and little hands. I don't want a grandfather <laughs> clock. I actually want a clock. Uh, but uh, I want to add. I want to add this. I agree with. I agree that it takes courage to say because you need senior votes to not panic people and say I got to take on Social Security. Let me just tell you, in one and a half, in eighteen months, it's going to run out of money. This is how I would attack it. Here's the math. Don't keep telling me you're going to cut spending. Tell me what you're cutting. Yeah. Right. You might as well. Donald Trump spent a lot. You you do what Democrats do. You're pretending there was no pandemic. There was a pandemic. He had to write. He told America, here's a seven billion dollars. Go home. It all feels very disingenuous. Right. I will say this too: her closing argument's a bad one. The closing argument about 80 year olds is a bad one. 
especially because you're running in a Republican primary. So Republican voters have already made the decision. Joe Biden is senile. Donald Trump is old, but not as old, but still very capable. So I may like him or I don't like him, but it's not based on his mental acuity. Right. Yet she's talking about a generational change in leadership. Voters don't care about that on the Republican side right now. It's a it's a bad closing argument. Right. But I also and mean you disagree on this. And, and I think it's a great debate. Uh, I want Ukraine defended. I want to get them to get the arms they need to push back on the Russians. I think everybody's watching. That's her position. What has she said run, on but that? Run on it. Has she, has she, she doesn't bring it up. Yeah. Uh, because people don't bring it up. She knows where the Republican base right. is on that right now. And by the way, um, I probably should have brought it up today, but I also know, do I want to get in a foreign policy debate on the last day of the primary? But I thought about that. But it would be an opportunity for her to say, this is where I'm different. I think Eastern Europe needs to be defended, and I think the Israelis need to be armed. And right now we're giving neither of them. And I think Taiwan needs to get the weapons that they ordered in our military-industrial base. Not only is not running things, we can't make things fast enough. We've got problems making tanks and uh, javelins and everything. So uh, I think that under positions, it takes some courage to be out there because you're going to alienate some people like the uh, Tuckers of the world, the Steve Bannons of the world. Uh, the people that don't want us involved anywhere just focus on our – Well, know. I think the Republican voters of the world too. I mean the reality is – and we do disagree on this, but Donald Trump has changed the where the the barometer needle is on, on Republican foreign policy right. interventionism. And so she's not talking about it because she knows it will turn off a lot of base voters that she wants to win. All right, listen, uh, Pete Hexett's going to be here. He's got his Fox Nation coverage tonight. Another reason to get that fantastic app. Uh, you're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show on the road in New Hampshire. Don't move. Covering this election year like no other, it's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. What's really happening is is Putin and the thugs around him are triumphant because they believe that the United States and the Europeans are showing signs of taking a knee, so to speak. They're not as determined and commitment. Not only that, he is he is absolutely making plans and beginning to set the conditions in Finland, in Latvia, and in Estonia for what he did in 2014 that invited him into Crimea and also into eastern Ukraine. That is setting the conditions for an invasion into those countries, force NATO to respond to that and not respond effectively. This is where Putin's head is, and we've got to understand that this is much more than Ukraine, as the president of Ukraine, President Zelensky, said. Putin does have desires to break the transatlantic NATO treaty, and he has plans for that. The Germans just revealed secret plans about the very thing that I'm discussing right now in a public forum. That's the reality of what we're facing here. If we walk away from Ukraine, Russia wins. And General Jack Keane now doesn't even know what the word uh, hyperbole means. He's saying the facts. He puts out the Institute for the Study of War, every hotspot in the country, in the world he he handles. If if you ever want just one what goes on in a non-military jargon way, 
He breaks it down, uh, quick paragraphs, and then bullet points at the end. And that is one of the bullet points he's been bringing up. Uh, They're sending a great message initially, but now as the West wanes, China's hearing this. They'll hate when we first invade Taiwan. They'll talk about sanctions, but they'll get over it like Hong Kong. That's what people look back at this generation and say, if you didn't acquiesce then, we wouldn't have these problems now. And General Keene is right, um, let me see, all the time. And this is where I agree with Nikki Haley. And I think fundamentally, even Speaker uh, Johnson came out and said, look, we have to we have to get the border fixed. I'm with that. I talked to Zelensky. He needs the money by February. And that's why they got to come together at some type of border fix. I love the leverage they're using. I don't love the fact that it looks as though we're, we're wavering when it comes to arms, because if we don't lead, Europe will follow our lack of leadership and will not be supportive. That's where I think Nikki Haley will be. Uh, really strong, in my view. And she should bring it up. As I mentioned, she should bring up Social Security. Yeah, we've got to raise the age. I know it's not on you guys. You have certain plans and certain targets. But whether it's more contributions for those in their 20s leading up to their retirement in their 60s or, or whether it's more contributions now, leaving the age exact where it is, it is going uh, belly up if we don't do something. So it's going to be all about – tonight's going to be all about the primary – uh, which, which you're not going to see is anything about the Democrats, because Joe Biden didn't like New Hampshire, does terrible in New Hampshire. He is not on the ballot, but he's a write-in. That's driving Andrew Yang nuts, and that's why he's backing Dean Phillips. Cut 30. I'm supporting my guy, Dean Phillips, who's trying to upgrade from Joe Biden in the Democratic Party. I'm someone who thinks that we need to move on from the battle of the 80-year-olds. Dean is a spy, 55 years old, (laughs) plays hockey, CEO of Talenti Gelato. Let's go. Right. Talenti Gelato. Is that the ice cream? Is that the ice? Is that what he started? I did not know that. But I know he's extremely rich, and so is Andrew Yang. And together, they at least have two votes. Well, actually, I don't even think Andrew lives in New Hampshire, but it looks like Dean Phillips is working hard to make a difference. He's supposed to get about 10% of the vote. Let's see if he beats Marianne Williamson. You listen to the Brian Kill Me Show on the road in New Hampshire. Keep it here. From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. It's Brian Kilmeade, like the guy with the deep voice says. And we usually come to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. But now we're somewhere safe in New Hampshire. And the beautiful, uh, and the be- this is just a great complex. It's fantastic when you go up to the third floor and uh, go to your room and then come right back down. Or I should say my suite. I don't know, uh, Guy Benson doesn't know this, but I have the whole floor. And uh, I know it's going to create tension amongst my Fox colleagues, but I don't care at this point. Josh Krashauer is also here. Guy, in a matter of minutes. But first, let's get to our big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Write-in campaigns are notoriously difficult, right? So um, what's important here is just what the grassroots effort you're seeing on the ground, the engagement. The DNC made a terrible decision uh, not to have New Hampshire go first. Dems don't play ball in New Hampshire, and the wisdom of Joe's boycott has lost on many in his own party. Could it he could it cost Biden the state in the general? Many still question the state of his mind. Number two. I think it's time for the American people to wake up and smell the incompetence. I mean, the border is wide oh. open, as, and as I've said before, uh, it's it, that's man-made, and the man's name is Joe Biden. 
<laughs> a loss for Texas is a loss for us. As the Supreme Court sides with the Biden federal government and will cut away the Eagle Pass razor wire, doing, doing a lot to stop the flood of illegals who are just poisoning our nation. This is unsustainable as Texas pledges to never give up the fight. Number one. What's unheard of about this election, we've never seen a frontrunner this popular with the base and this unpopular with these independent swing voters. She has to get this seismic turnout two and a half to one against Trump among those independents for her to get a clear surprise. First and maybe the last primary for the GOP as Haley takes the Dixon notch first six votes, but... Polls say she's likely to lose to Trump today. I talked to Trump on the trail last night, and Haley this morning will bring in the latest from the Republican rivals. And let me remind you, go get the show on the Fox News app. Uh, you can watch us uh, right now on Fox Nation, and also you can watch us on the app. Uh, with me right now is Guy Benson. will be doing this very same thing in the very same place, using different headsets, fully sanitized, uh, on when he decides to take over, whenever you're ready. Guy, great to see you. Good to see you. So hang on. You have a suite in this building? I'm in a broom closet. I thought... Right. I, I shouldn't have brought it up. This, yeah. It is creative. This is the fear I had. I'm going to have to talk to someone right. about this. I get special rules. I've always had them. Yeah, kill right? me. When you host 17 shows, you got a suite. Right. Absolutely. When you host the Guy Benson show, you got a closet. It's yeah. fine. I hate when my butler's late and I pick <laughs> find my own shoes. That is not a nice way to talk about Steve Ducey. <laughs> that, is, that is true. You know what? I'll let it slide this one time. So, Guy, you took a slice of our lives behind the scenes. So I just talked about it. I did Trump last night. It was never supposed to be a hard-hitting interview. What I wanted to do was a slice of his life on the trail because Lawrence Jones just did a one-on-one with him for right, a half down. hour. Yeah. Martha McCallum did it for 20 minutes. Brett Baird did him for 15. I was scheduled to do this ahead of time. They said that what you could do is just get the personal side out of him. So obviously it's being spun that I gave him a soft interview. What can I do? So Nikki Haley came on today. Tell us what you saw from your perspective before you came on. Well, I mean, I was on right before Nikki Haley on Fox and Friends this morning and had a wonderful chat with her and part of her team. And just, you know, behind the scenes, part of her team working the refs, just saying, hey, we want more coverage of our person. Are you guys covering Trump too much? That kind of thing. And that's their job. Their job is to try to put their candidate in the best light possible. I think that she acquitted herself quite well. You guys had a long Good conversation with Nikki Haley. She's working really hard in this state. When I was chatting with her off the air, one thing that I know is true, and it's come up a few times, so intellectually, like, it was somewhere in my brain, but it didn't really hit so much with me until, because she was asking about my new son. We have a baby at home, so I was showing her pictures, and she's like, oh, my gosh, adorable. And she was talking about her kids, who are now grown, they're in their 20s, and how they're doing some of the campaigning stuff with her, because her husband is deployed. And... I had just sort of forgotten he's in Africa. They can only talk maybe once a day. Their schedules don't align. And just on a personal level, whatever you think of Trump or Haley, however people are going to vote, to have this much stress, stress, this much work, this kind of a breakneck schedule that she's going mm-hmm. through here, and to have her spouse half a world away it's true, in uniform, uh, and they're fighting terrorists over there, uh, the, you know, tip of the cap to the to the Haley family. All right, so here's a little of Nikki Haley. Then I want to get Guy Yu to weigh in and tell me how you think this is going to play out. Cut nine. Is with f- within five points of the former president, is that a strong showing? You know, at the end of the day, you guys are going to be talking about what a strong showing is or not. Now, I don't know that you'll tell the truth, but I think at the end of the day, if you look at the fact that, yes, we are down, I've got one more fellow in the race, I didn't get here by luck. Thirteen people, and I'm down to one more person? That's no, by we, outsmarting so not, and outworking. Oh, don't worry about us not telling you. I'm just saying that, like, the numbers are the numbers. It's no more. Yeah, so but what, I don't, do you, what do you think is strong? I don't think like that. 
What I wait is I wait and see what the numbers are right. and see what they look like. I don't like to predict like that. At the end of the day, it's about the energy, it's about the momentum, and it's about if it looks right. like we are putting up a good challenge to Donald Trump. I think we have done that up until now. Well, what does is, what is strong look like, Guy Benson? Yeah, I mean, uh, number one, I mean, you go back a ways here, Brian. Think back to 2015 and all the way till now. How many people who have challenged Donald Trump in a Republican primary setting have salivated over a one-on-one shot at him, right? That was what everyone's goal was forever, and now she's got it. To her credit, she's the one who's been able to do it. And then the results will be what they are, to your point, in that exchange with Nikki Haley. I understand, again, why she doesn't want to put an exact number on what counts as good or strong or bad or weak, because if she misses it by half a percentage point, then it's like by her own definition, it's a failure. But I think it is absolutely fair to say if this is a double-digit race, which all the polls suggest it will be, I don't know how you really spin that positively. If it's a five-point race, which was your benchmark – I think a lot of eyebrows are raised. Even if Trump wins it by five points, that's like, whoa, that's really that's really close. Could things be a little different? She's got three-plus weeks down in her home state to make up ground. Let's see. If I saw Suffolk, which is a good pollster, Suffolk just came out with their final poll before New Hampshire, and they had Trump at plus, uh, plus 20-something and reaching, I think, 61 62% here in New Hampshire – I mean, if if that's anywhere close to reality, I don't think you can really argue that it was a strong showing. And the thing is, you have five weeks until you have another it's another battle. And right. then what do you do in that time to close the gap in your own state? Right. What's your story there? Because if if it's close, right, then you go down there and you say, look, I understand that a lot of you love Trump, but you know me. I was governor here for multiple terms. I grew up here. All I came up here. Let's do this together. You can try. If it's a 20-point blowout, again, right, where you've now lost by double digits twice in a row in the first two contests, are you down in South Carolina? Because she's also given up on Nevada in the caucus there. She's not, she's not, not playing there. Not playing there. So you're in South Carolina. You're sort of like twisting in the wind, figuring out how exactly you try to do this. I think it was that exact prospect that was at least part of the calculation to push DeSantis in his own mind out of the race. He's saying, do I really want to, having worked so hard in Iowa, losing by 20 points, even though I did come in second place, or losing by, was it, 30 points, uh, coming in second place but distant, do I want to go then to North, uh, rather to New Hampshire, lose in the single digits, like not by that margin, but only get the single digits, and then right. what's my path in South Carolina? He had that reality check moment and got out. I think after tonight, Nikki Haley will reassess based on what the voters decide. Uh, so, so far, Trump leads in the, in, uh, over Haley in the Suffolk poll, which was he, she was as close as six points at one point, uh, the daily tracking poll, uh, by 17 points. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty significant. you, you got to think. So if they're close in double digits, it's going to, there's going to be a lot of push, uh, I imagine, amongst her people to get out. You know, one thing that sticks with me is when Governor Huckabee came out and said, the one reason I got out when I did the second time is I found out that people were spending my money on yard signs. I, my, my, my campaign was continuing to flourish and spend money and write checks and rent halls. And I'm saying, wait, wait, wait a second. I'm not sure I have enough money to pay for this. If I wait another day, you're going to be spending on my campaign. I'm not going to leave with debt. So he put the brakes on right away. That may be why Tim Scott did it, too. I need money for another run. I don't need this fruitless campaign. So it becomes obvious she's so young 
does she want to spend all that money and burn those bridges? Does she want to use this time to start? Because I think, notice it, Trump did not say bird brain, which I think is really insulting. That's a tough one. But he did not bring it up. I think that he wants to end. He wants it to be a mm-hmm. slow decline. And again, like, it's hard for me to give him like a slow clap of civility by not calling the woman in the race bird brain. Like, oh, wow, what restraint he's showing. Woo-hoo. But I, I get your point. This is what he does. Of course, he appointed her to his cabinet and praised her to the hilt until he didn't. This is politics. It's how he operates. She has a lot of money, right? She, she her, she's got donors behind her. She says she raised a lot of money since DeSantis dropped out. I don't think in the near term money is going to be the problem for her campaign. Longer term, of course, you're right. But DeSantis, in his dropout message, said, I did not want people to continue writing checks to me, working so hard for me when I didn't see a real path for myself, and therefore he put an end to it. Right. Haley will have to make that decision for herself. Depending, Look, if she has a big night tonight, then all bets are off. Things are totally different. If she loses by double digits and Trump looks like he's cruising, then she's an adult. She has a much bigger brain than a bird, and I think she'll make a different decision (laughs) for herself, and that'll be up to her, depending on what the voters say. Again, in a place like New Hampshire where it feels like this state is custom-made for her candidacy right now, if you can't make a big splash here today, that says something. If you can, that says something else. So uh, if you can, can you stick around? Sure. All right. When we come back, uh, the border crisis, the Supreme Court sides with President Biden on the Texas border razor wire situation. This is so ag- uh, aggravating to me. John Roberts, I think, you know, I understand the whole federalism thing, but there's somebody who's allowed. There's one man and one White House allowing more people to come in our country illegally than ever before. A desperate state lays out razor wire and a Supreme Court says, rip it up. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. Guy Benson with us. Hear the ins and outs of the 2024 election right here. The Brian Kilmeade Show. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. President Biden and and many of my Democratic colleagues believe in open borders. And number two, I think it's time for the American people to wake up and smell the incompetence. I mean, the border is wide open, as, and as I've said before, uh, it's, it, that's man-made, and the man's name is Joe Biden. If the White House, how can I put this, if the White House were a football team and performed like this, we would have already fired the coach, the athletic director, and the mascot. Senator John Kennedy responding to the Biden administration. Uh, Supreme Court wins 5-4 vote. The justice granted an emergency appeal from the administration, from the White House, which has been an escalating standoff at the border with Texas, and has objected to an appellate court ruling, if you can follow this, in favor of the state that the deciding vote was cast by Justice Roberts while uh, Thomas, Alito, Gorsuch, and Kavanaugh were in dissent. Amy Coney Barrett, a Trump appointee, also sided with the majority, which means, essentially, Texas were cutting off your wire that was stopping illegals from getting through certain sections of Eagle Pass. It is not allowed. Greg Abbott said this is not over. Texas razor wire is an effective deterrent to illegal crossings. And Biden encourages, I will defend Texas constitutional authority to secure the border and prevent the Biden administration from destroying our property. Guy Benson here. Guy shows coming up this afternoon. Guy, your reaction to the Supreme Court decision. 
Well, so my understanding is it's temporary, so the underlying issue maybe hasn't been decided yet, so this is still going to be fought out, and the Texas authorities are saying they're going to keep fighting this in court. Uh, So perhaps this will come back to SCOTUS at some point to uh, sink their teeth into the actual underlying issue here. Obviously, it's hugely disappointing for the people in Texas who are trying to actually protect the border, which the federal government, the Biden administration uh, clearly just are not doing. Right. From a constitutional perspective, uh, people ask, you know, why is Justice Chief Justice Roberts and Justice uh, Barrett, <clears throat> excuse me, siding with the, the lefties on the court on this one? <clears throat> and the argument could be that if you look at the law, federal government has sovereignty on border issues and on immigration enforcement. So the argument might be, if they decide similarly on the underlying question, Biden has a right. He has the authority to destroy American sovereignty. Uh, and, and Texas, which he's doing well, which is he's doing it every single day on purpose, I think. Uh, so I think outcome wise, it'd be very frustrating for Texas. It makes me very angry. Uh, I think constitutionally, there is an argument to be made that the court got it right here. But the upshot is more uncontrolled yep. immigration. It's out. And it's just nuts. I saw uh, Corinne Jean-Pierre yesterday was asked. Some reporter asked her, uh, you know, what will it take? How bad does it have to get for Biden to go back down there? And she said, oh, the president's been to the border and he sees it and he understands the problem. No, he went down there once, basically against his will. Politically, they forced him to go down there. They cleaned the whole place up. He didn't see a single migrant. He was on the ground for a few hours and he left. He has no understanding of what the problem is or he endorses what the problem is. which is probably closer to the truth. And for the life of me, I don't understand why they don't try to make this a little bit better, only for their own political interests. Right. So now Senator Langford says that he's making uh, – he's about to propose, and maybe get it on uh, for this week, in the Senate, working with Senator Murphy, substantial changes to the asylum laws, to parole, and he's going to present it. The House has already said, unless it's H.R. 2, which is everything, you build the wall, yep. double the size of the Border Patrol, you get stop all parole – uh, you shut it down over a certain threshold. Unless they get all of them not doing it. And where it is that President Trump's telling these guys, do not pass immigration reform. I'm going to fix it. He's just going to do it temporarily. I'm not going to – don't let it be an election issue for him. Yeah. I mean, with all respect to Senator Lankford, and I like him a lot, I am extremely suspicious of any immigration reform, quote-unquote, bill that comes out of the Senate with Democratic fingerprints on it. They aren't serious. They want more money to do all this stuff. There's probably some form of amnesty thrown in there. And I'm not a hardcore, like, you know, immigration hawk. I've become one because of this border crisis. Everybody has. And what's so aggravating about it is you don't actually – look, Congress, yes, at some point needs to fix some things on a substantive level. You don't need congressional intervention to just go back to the policies that were working under President Trump. Biden got rid of them because they were Trump's policies. He can – reverse himself again if he wanted to, and make a huge amount of this issue go away. He is choosing not to do it, and bailing him out with some sort of weak bipartisan thing I think is wrong. To allow him to get on the stump and say, I work with Republicans yeah, to look, fix the Look board. how reasonable I am. He has been unbelievably unreasonable on this issue. Don't help him or reward him for that. All right. Uh, Kamala Harris was asked about this last night on CNN. Cut 33. There is no question that our immigration system is broken. And so much so that we, as the first bill that we offered after our inauguration, was 
to fix the immigration system, which included what we must do to create a pathway for citizenship mm -hmm. and to put the resources that are needed into the border. But sadly, people... So that they, blame, they blame Congress for not passing it. Number one, who controlled the Senate and the House? Yeah. Right? The Democrats. Number two is pathway to citizenship. That's the first thing you're going to offer? Exactly. Uh, I'm surprised she didn't answer the question about the border crisis with something about abortion. That's the only thing she talks about these days. But she at least somewhat responded to the question and went straight to Congress, path to citizenship. That is exactly the red flag that I'm talking about. And it completely ignores my previous point, which is with the stroke of a pen, Biden has the authority to fix a lot of this by himself, right. by going back to the Trump policies. He refuses to do it. Two major miscalculations. They thought they'll get the Hispanic vote back. By showing a uh, acquiescence at the border, yeah. it's boomerang. Wrong. And we will destroy Trump with a series of court cases. It has been, so far, jet fuel for his campaign. And he might survive them both. Guy Benson, what should we know about your show? 3 to 6 Eastern, Fox News Radio. And you're going to be starring in it. Oh, yeah. Guy so Benson it's all about show. God. GuyBensonShow.com. That's all you need. Keep it here. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. This year, people seem to want a coronation instead of a competition. And, you know, the two top leading candidates have refused to have any debates and are acting like they've already won before the first vote has even been cast. So I think a lot of independent voters are going to be wanting to go vote for Nikki Haley in order to keep this as a competition, in order to challenge Donald Trump. We'll see. Tiani uh, Coleman, who is the president of the New Hampshire Independent Voters, talking about the frustration she has this year because they did not get a debate. Uh, Trump's not a debate. He feels like an incumbent. And Nikki Haley says, I'm only debating Trump. And Ron DeSantis dropped that anyway. With me in studio is Josh Crashauer, who was spent last night with Nikki Haley at her event. Oh, I was able to observe it. Uh, Fox News Radio political analyst and editor-in-chief of Jewish Insider. Uh, Josh, welcome back. Hey, great to be with you, Brian, in, in New Hampshire. Right. No debate to really focus on leading up to this, right? Yeah, and you know, I think that may have been a mistake that, that people are looking at Nikki Haley in the final week of the campaign, and she, before Ron DeSantis dropped out of the race, decided I'm not going not gonna to debate DeSantis. It has to be one-on-one -on -one against Donald Trump. And New Hampshire voters like to, to see as much of the candidates as possible, whether it's at the town halls, whether it's at the debate. There's always been a debate in the, in the days before the New Hampshire primary. And, look, I, I understand why she didn't want to get into a tit-for-tat with DeSantis, but by showing she didn't want to engage in that one, one big moment I, I, wasn't the greatest way, I don't think, to, to end uh, the New Hampshire campaign here. What did you observe about her event? Well, look, she got, look, she's got a good – she had a good crowd. It was in Salem, New Hampshire, which is actually, interestingly, the hometown of Governor Chris Sununu, but also one of Donald Trump's strongest areas in, in, in the state of New Hampshire. Uh, good crowd, the overflow, uh, maybe about 700 people uh, total there. She, you know, she's got sort of that suburban moderate voter down. I think she's going to do very well tonight among independent voters, among moderate voters, uh, the suburbanites. But – you know, she still has a real soft spot with, with the base. Where you look at the polls that are out these last couple of days, and, and Republicans are much more uh, favorably predisposed to Donald Trump. And uh, you can't win in New Hampshire, even though this is an open primary where independents can participate. You still got to have some support, more support with, with the base, and that's going to be her big challenge. It is. Let me ask you, how different would it be? If Trump was not in the race, would she have problems with the base? Do you think she's – I think she's inappropriately being called a rhino or a moderate. Just so happens she gets those votes 
I don't think she she's a conservative. She is, and, and that's sort of the fascinating what if in, in, in this campaign, and maybe we'll talk more about that in four years if, if it's a wide-open uh, Republican primary where, uh, look, Trump, Trump is such a, a force of nature that he, he's winning all kinds of different types of Republican voters. I mean, that, that, that's a signal of how, how strong he is politically right now within the Republican Party. Uh, but if you had a wide, if you had Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley, that would be, there, there's even been some polling, I think, showing a very neck and neck race in, in that kind of hypothetical matchup. Because look, Nikki Haley is one of the best, I think the fact that she's the last Republican standing against Donald Trump is yeah. a sign that she, she is an outstanding campaigner. She has a record that, that's unmatched foreign policy as, as, as Trump's former UN ambassador, two terms uh, as an effective governor of South Carolina. She She's really done well in the retail political settings she's been in. And I think um, a lot of it is just she's running up against uh, Trump, and, and he's really like the for, you know an incumbent, a former president. Josh, I, I had a chance to meet Susie Wiles for the first time, see that whole operation up close. It's an operation. They are unbelievably organized. From the advanced team on down, uh, they work constantly. Nobody drinks on the plane. No one drinks at, at, anywhere around them. So they're all on pins and needles. And from the speeches on down, I've never – it doesn't even look like the same campaign for 2016. It reminds me of a president, actually. Well, this is one of the best-run campaigns, period, that I've, I've dealt with. It's a far cry from 2016, and it's even 2020 as the incumbent. There was there was a lot of disorganization and the pandemic and chaos didn't help. and the pandemic. Uh, one of the big moments when you look back, and we'll see what happens in a, in a potential general election. But when Donald Trump went to East Palestine when, after the oil spill and showed empathy, he actually. You know, but the president was not not in Ohio, and he, he showed the fact that he was very nimble and was able to kind of react to the news. And that was the moment where Trump really started to take off in, in, in the polls. That he showed that he was out of the out of the Mar-a-Lago box and really showing some retail skills. And he's been, you know, he's been on the rise, and he's been you know right. showing his strength ever ever since that moment. I think that's a good point, and I'll build on that. When Don, when Donald Trump showed up and Joe Biden didn't, that's it. They say, well, where is the president? This is a big deal. What about our, what about our freight? What do you mean there was uh, these basically had all these uh, this dangerous equipment nobody even knew about it? What about our system of government? What about the people of uh, Palestine? You couldn't even get the transportation secretary to show right. up. And then this pres, this guy comes back and just says, I just want to find out what's going on here. Hey, let me listen. I'm, I hear you. You know, I also sat down. Um, Allison, remind me, we did an event on Sunday night, and we're in – uh, we're in Illinois, Joliet, Illinois, and we had this woman stand up and say, uh, I lost, was it the nephew? Lost her nephew in Abbey Gate, and we came, we were invited to Mar-a-Lago, and the president had me, had my uh, sister sit next to me for an hour and a half, and they just talked, and we got all the details about the final call home, and how many calls were missed, and the follow-up conversations that he had, and the, the caring that he showed, he said, she goes, I was never going to vote, me and my family were never going to vote for him again, we're voting for him again. You hear those stories just when you want to say he's out of touch and he's crass. And uh, I'm watching General Kelly have a statement he doesn't care about the country, which I think is folly. But then you hear those stories. Yeah, his his skill, frankly, for retail politics, even though he does a lot of the rallies and doesn't do as many of the town halls, it was when he went to, I think it was like Taco Bell after East Palestine and actually bonded with the, 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 the restaurant workers. And he, he look, he has a, a core a fan club within uh, many, many uh, working among, class among many people, Repo- working class people, people who really connect with him. And he has shown that during during this campaign. And it's been 
a, a, a force that's been hard to really contend with. Ron DeSantis, by the way, was sort of the opposite, where he came in with this conservative record of governance in Florida, but he just did not have the retail skills, which matters so much, especially in states is like Is that Iowa how you say it? You don't think he had the retail skills? Is that what you witnessed? That's what I witnessed firsthand. It was sort of clear, uh, spending a little time uh, watching the governor campaign. And that stuff, that's why New Hampshire and Iowa matter, right? It's, it's a chance for all these candidates, some of whom have really good records in their states back home, who are seen kind of on right. TV but not seen in person. And this, this, this state especially gives everyone a chance to show that they can do the one-on-one uh, campaigning. All right. So President, I just talked to uh, President Trump last night. I asked him about Nikki Haley and the fact that Nikki Haley does better in, uh, against Biden. Cut three. Who do you go over? For your speech, to say, hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? What should I add? Especially being that this is closing it out. Sure, we are. This is a closeout. This is what we call a closeout. And uh, we just saw some great poll numbers. You saw the same numbers as I did. It just came out. We're leading by a lot. And we're leading, uh, very importantly, we're leading Biden by a lot. She's losing with Biden. She's got one poll that shows that she was, I think it was a false poll, actually. But we're, uh, we're doing very well. We're leading everywhere with Biden by a lot. Michigan. Pennsylvania, Wisconsin. We're leading every state, virtually every state with him. And you'd almost say, how can you not be leading with the job he's doing? So the thing that President Trump can honestly say is that that whole thing, he's not electable, can't win the general. The last five, six polls don't say a different story. He's up by three or four. It looks like Nikki Haley does better against Joe Biden right now. Right. Well, look, I think this is actually a really important point because one of the big arguments against Trump from everyone who was running against him was that he wasn't electable, that he couldn't beat Joe Biden. And it's really hard to say that when you have poll after poll after poll showing him leading Joe Biden. Joe Biden is an extremely weak incumbent. And, and even if Trump was not performing as well as Haley, uh, you know, it's harder to make this argument. Haley's been doing, I, you know, I saw her last night. One of the big themes of her speech was that she's, she's the one who can win by double digits. She's the one who can take back the House and the Senate. But that argument falls a little bit flat when you see these same polls showing Trump also could, could win and is going to win Pennsylvania. You know, if you yeah. the Pennsylvania polls and the Wisconsin polls, you see the same dynamic showing Trump with an advantage. So that was sort of the, 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 a lot of the Republicans didn't want to engage with Trump on substance as much on policy. They tried to make that argument about electability. But when you have these polls, and Trump is rightly pointing out, he's, he's up in, in most of these polls. Um, right. It makes it harder to make that case. All right. So here's what Nikki Haley said about the polls. Cut 17. That's why I'm running, because Donald Trump doesn't beat Joe Biden right. in the general election. We beat him by double But digits. in the real clear, he's up three points as the average of the most substantive polls in the country. Up against Joe. Donald Trump beating Joe Biden by three points. On a okay, and ballot. that's margin of error, Brian. We did that in in 2018. We did that in 2020. Right. We did that in 2022. I campaigned for a ton of candidates that were good, and we all lost right. because Donald Trump was the incumbent. We can't lose again. This is about November too, and sure. at the end of the day, a Kamala Harris presidency, we won't survive it. And you know, Wall Street Journal showed I was up by 17 points, and Donald Trump said it was a dirty poll. That was his pollster that did the poll. So one thing is, uh, one thing you would have to say is that he is beating it. it uh, he wasn't ever really beating Joe Biden when he was president. Yeah, I mean, I think the more nuanced case that Haley can make is that we're going to have some trials coming down the road. There's a lot yeah. coming 
you know, we're, polls are snapshots in a, at a moment in time. But a lot of the biggest vulnerabilities for Trump are coming down the road in 2024, especially the, the, the big case in Washington. And if Trump is convicted, there are polls that show a lot of Republicans might actually sit this one out or, or not yeah. support the former president. So I, I think that would be the stronger case in terms of looking ahead. I, you know, Trump is leading Biden in, in, in most of the polls. But boy, oh, boy, he's very polarizing. And there's a lot of landmines down the road that he's going to have to deal You'll with. You'll have to see. Uh, Josh Crashera, thanks so much for coming by. I truly appreciate it. Great thanks, to Brian. see you. Oh, oh, actually, can you stick around for one more? Sure. When we come back, uh, the IDF suffered uh, suffered uh, an awful loss yesterday, the greatest loss since they went into Gaza to avenge the ten, uh, October 7th attack. I want to get your take, Netanyahu's future, and also President Biden now ratcheting up attacks along with the U.K. against the Houthi rebels. You'll listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Covering this election year like no other, it's Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. It's the president's view that a two-state solution is the best path forward for people of uh, Gaza, for the Palestinian people, as well as the Israeli people. And as he said in those comments, um, there's a lot that can go into creating what that construct looks like. Uh, And when we say two-state solution, what does it actually mean? And there's many different interpretations. There's lots of different ways you can get at that uh, ultimate solution. Um, And the president, as he has always done, kept an open mind about trying to pursue that. It's not easy. No one says it is easy. Uh, but for Netanyahu, he looks at a two-state solution, a Palestinian state next door, is just prolonging the next horrific October 7th attack. What have the Palestinians done to make you think that they will ever agree to live peacefully next to the Israelis? And instead of sitting back there in a think tank, why don't you go travel over there, understand the, uh, the, the uh, amount of violence that took place on the 7th, and then how much more they would have been done had they had the weapons to do it, had they been able to run through the entire country. Josh Krashauer knows this, Fox News political analyst, editor-in-chief of the Jewish Insider. Uh, Josh, that's the big debate between the countries. Yesterday, horrifically, the IDF lost 21 guys uh, in Gaza as they circle another major, encircle another major city in Gaza. Yeah, the largest single-day casualty since, since, since the invasion began. And look, it's, it's been, I think, Right now, the Israeli the IDF uh, is fighting among its most intense battles in, in the southern Gaza Strip, and they're, they may be getting closer to where the terrorist leadership is. So I think uh, they're hoping that in the days and weeks to come, they may have some successes. But it's a, it's a very uh, – 219 uh, casualties uh, among among uh, military so far in the operation. And, look, I, I think when you talk about the U.S. position, on one hand, you have the Biden administration you know, having Israel's back, allowing it to, to conduct uh, – uh, its operation, trying to take out Hamas and fighting back against the left of, of the Democratic Party. On the other hand, they're, they're sort of throwing out this aspirational goal that there needs to be a Palestinian state and that should be part of some, some kind of final final uh, post-war agreement when there's just has never been a Palestinian partner for peace. Like who, who would be, you know, the Palestinian Authority is led by an 88-year-old Mahmoud Abbas who's corrupt, and then you have, we know about Hamas in Gaza, so there's just no obvious uh, leader. Uh, of, of And it, it would probably, I know the Israelis won't, would like the Saudis, would like the Egyptians to be involved, but it, it is very, very unrealistic. And I think even the Americans know that it's unrealistic in the short term to uh, – think that a Palestinian state is in the offing after what happened on October 7th. Right. So right now the tension between Netanyahu and President Biden evidently 
has been boiling over since December. And he, they, they cannot wait for the day when Netanyahu is out of office. Inside the Israeli politics, do you know how close a new election is? Well, it's really, really fascinating because, look, Netanyahu, Netanyahu is not popular in, in, in Israel. He, uh, He's got 15% the, approval or something. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 the fact is Israelis of all stripes view him as responsible being, being, being in, in, in leadership when October 7th happened, missing intelligence. Uh, he, he would lose an election if, if they were held today. At the same time, the Israeli public is very supportive of the war. There's no uh, – if anything, they want Netanyahu to be tougher, not, not, not more, more dovish. And, uh, you know, the, 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 the mood, I mean, Netanyahu is, is basically trying to appeal to his own base, right? He's trying to keep, play some politics and trying to keep his own coalition together because right. he, he doesn't want an election. He doesn't want to have an early election as this, I think it'll be two and a half years if, if the calendar continues as, as is till the next Israeli election. So Netanyahu is just trying to keep his government intact. But the reality is the, the Biden administration is really disconnected from where the Israeli – left and right in Israel, they are, they're all sharing 100 percent solidarity with the mission in Gaza and taking out Hamas. And when right. you have Democrats and you have you know, some parts of the administration calling for you know, more humanitarian aid or, or pause or – look, they, they, would, they would trade host- – they would love to see all the hostages come back. That's a huge part of the, this mission. But when you look at Hamas and, and, and the fact that they are – uh, pretty ruthless uh, uh, in, in their in, in their aims. It doesn't seem like there's any solution. To, right. Uh, so uh, we will see what's going to happen until let's say you have total annihilation. They've lost about what nine to twelve thousand fighters. Uh, they say thousands have been displaced. I don't don't go by Hamas numbers. I don't think you do either. But what about the president of the United States? He's paying a political price for doing the right thing, backing Israel. But the next generation of Democrats seems very in the very much in the Palestinian camp, including many people in his party. That have some power, um, like AOC and company. I mean, that's the worry. I, I certainly uh, in Israel, when you look at American public opinion, Israel has strong support. Uh, the even you know with Biden and even a lot of the leading rank and file Democrats, there's strong support for Israel. But it's that left wing. It's the AOC wing of the party. It's here in New Hampshire. There's actually an attempt to have voters in the Democratic primary write write ceasefire I as, saw that. As, a, as a protest against uh, Biden's policies and his support for Israel. So there is this very outspoken left uh, that's growing on, on the Democratic Party, right. and that that's going. And it's also among younger voters, the younger generation that that that's so, leading that. So we've been knocking missiles out of the sky. Come from the Houthi rebels. It's cost very costly. We got multi-million-dollar uh, missiles knocking out a a Radio Shack drone uh, that's got explosives on it. Now the U.S. and U.K. launched a major strike yesterday. Uh, the Pentagon says they hit eight targets, including an underground Houthi bunker, and missile sites were hit. Uh, so by both countries, this is what the eighth time, the eighth round. Uh, where is this going? Well, you hear the word proportional. A lot when you hear from the White House and what, what they've been doing to try to deter the Houthis, and the Houthis are essentially Iranian, an Iranian proxy. Uh, it does seem, based on the actions and the statements from the White House, that they're trying not to stir things up too much, just do enough to deter the Houthis, which they're not they haven't been successful in doing so far. They continue to really uh, cause chaos in the Red Sea and and really uh, really make a, a lot of chaos with international shipping in the, in the region. So you know, I think. There are a lot of Republicans, certainly, and a lot of hawks that would like the administration to do more, not just tit for tat, but to actually take out the Houthis and, and do really tat. De- de- <laughs> yeah, do, do more tat, declare, <laughs> declare war against Iran and really speak out against the, the Iranian uh, proxies that are doing so much damage in the region. How many – it was amazing, too, how many missile strikes have gone and out and uh, hit our people in Iraq. 151 attacks in Iraq and Syria since October 17th, including 11 attacks since Thursday – 
after 15 Patriot interceptor missiles fired uh, fired away and knocked down Iranian missiles, but some got through. I mean, how long is this going to be sustainable? It will, I mean, this is this may be the, the long-term status quo. It seems like the Biden administration Thanks, is committed, Josh. but we'll from high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Hi, Brian Kilmeade. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you from New Hampshire, the side of the first and maybe last primary of the election season. As you know, Joe Biden doesn't want any part of New Hampshire. If he wins here, it's going to be a write-in vote. We got uh, another uh, Democratic candidate out here, and it's not RFK Jr., uh, he's going to be our guest a little bit later, Dean Phillips. But right now we're privileged to have in the studio Brett Baer and Martha McCallum. Uh, they are dressed, ready to go for a, like a, this is going to be a, a marathon broadcasting day for you. I'm honored to be. Am I your first? I'm not hit? dressed. I'm not wearing these sweatpants tonight. Just FYI. But I was. Oh, that's right. We are. <laughs> I was told this was radio. Right. I was so, Hi. But that is a camera, by the way. But you look, you look wonderful, uh, Brett. Nobody knows you have on jeans. That's true. Right, right, but you look—you have the open collar. I think that looks good. Yeah, yeah. I, I did a ten o'clock shot this morning. Oh, you did? Yeah, with uh, Dana, with Dana and Bill on the set, and uh, yeah, it is a marathon day. It's going to be. Um, you know, Martha has three. I have six. And then we have ten o'clock for the coverage tonight. So it's interesting. Um, have you thought about co-hosting both your hours? Like have Brett in for your hour, and then have you in for Brett's hour with Brett hour? Have you thought about that? Or you still want? Do you want to come on, or <laughs> you looking for another show? You know, Alcio, you're my witness. They've been very antagonistic. I don't know if this I is know, we this came is in, the pregame. It's all your fault. Whatever happened, going. it's all Brian's fault. So, so what happened is I was with the president of the United States last night, and one thing I made clear to Brett last night, he might not uh, want to. Reconfigure this is Martha. You did a great interview with the president. You did a great interview with the president. Lawrence Jones did an interview with the president, and they just said, "Brian, if you're going to do it, great, but make it slice of life. I want to know what that plane looks like. What is? How do they travel? You know, what's it? What's it behind the scenes? So even though they didn't do the the behind the scenes stuff, I don't know where we didn't air that, but we did two parts behind the scenes. So somewhere in between afterwards, they said it was a pretty positive situation. I was with the president, talked on and off camera a lot, and most of the questions were personal about his family, what's going to be like, why he wants his job again, when's Bonnie coming out, things like that. And that you brought me to this uh, this Truth Social. He said, hard to believe how one side of Fox News is. What a difference uh, from the past. Like the Wall Street Journal, no wonder the Republican base no longer cares about them. It was all about Ron DeSantis, and now it's the Bird Brain Show, which means uh, Nick, uh, Nikki Haley. But the curtains are coming down, and that one on Tuesday evening, uh, that comes down on Tuesday evening, Maggie. Do you know that Nikki Haley came in and just blasted us on the couch today and saying that uh, we are predicting her death, her political death, and that we're not going to tell the truth anyway? Why does it matter uh, what there she's going to do next, essentially? And I'll play some clips. What's your reaction to this? Well, do you remember this I, before, yeah, Martha? I, I mean, I, look, I think emotions are running high. I think we're very close to um, a, what looks like it could be a very significant night. Uh, for Donald Trump and Nikki Haley will have to make some decisions perhaps after that she says and I interviewed her yesterday on the campaign trail we've you know here's the the headline is we have all interviewed Trump Haley DeSantis we have been all over events we have had at least as you mentioned four or five interviews with the former president Trump who's the front runner in this race just as many with Nikki Haley. So, um, yeah, I think they're they're pointing the finger in the wrong place. We have certainly given them both a ton of coverage. And, and we're covering halls. the whole race and town halls. <laughs> the town halls. I mean, yeah, so so I, I, I just think that um, 
I think this is like last last minute jitters. It's got if there if anything goes wrong, it's got to be someone else's fault, not the candidates. Well, I would just like to point out the timeline. I mean, the true social came out right after uh, Brian's time <laughs> with President Trump. So, so I'm not saying anything happened, him off but when he was talking to Brian, something right. happened. Yeah, this is what happens when you're with journalists. They're going to be relentless <laughs> to get to the bottom of this. So once again, I pay the price. Okay. I'll plead guilty as charged. Here's an example of what turned Donald Trump against the network. Uh, cut one. All right, Mr. President, I know you have a speech to make. I appreciate the tour. What's your approach? Final, final uh, locking out New Hampshire? Well, we want to close it up. I think we will close it up. I think it's going to be very successful, and we're having a lot of fun. Where are the notes? Where's the teleprompter? What's going on? I don't need too many notes, unlike, <laughs> unlike Biden. Guilty as charged, guys. I uh, obviously went over the line. And not many candidates can withstand that type of question. That's true. Right? So I'm sorry you guys had to pay the price. I mean, I, I mean, do you, do you want to get to my side at all? Are you going to let Brett you know just... No, I'm just thinking about it. And also, I, everywhere, I don't we get go, everywhere we go, I feel like uh, the people who are at these events are very happy to see us. Glad yeah. we're covering the story. They'll tell us why they like Haley, tell us why they like Trump. I had people tell me why they like DeSantis the other day. You know, so and also the other thing I've kind of I don't know if you've noticed this or not. and Maybe I just wasn't in the right places. But have you seen a lot of reporters from other networks out here? Uh, not a ton. No. no. I mean, they're in Where beds. Are they? Their embeds are out. And but about, we're but, anchors. Yeah. Going to events all day long all over this state. So I, I, I find that kind of interesting because. I feel like in the past I was always running into people from the other networks, but I'm not sure where they are. Yeah. So there's a lot of criticism always. The DeSantis people, you know, said we should have had a blowtorch uh, to the former president in that town hall, even though the town hall is designed to hear questions from citizens. Right. And, but they're like, why didn't you ask about this? And how didn't you follow seven times about this? And I thought we had to ask some pointed questions that were – that he actually handled, the former president did, in a different way, in a different tone, almost in a general election pitch. I will say this about the campaign. The final push here has been very policy-oriented. He has hit on key points, immigration. He's hit Nikki Haley on Social Security, even though it's not accurate. She said you know, she wanted to switch it for 20-year-olds, whatever. He's been hitting it hard, and the ads all focus on that, his Stump speech focuses on that. And while the media focuses on all the controversial stuff and look over here at the shiny thing, he's been closing with a policy push, much like he did in 2016. I don't think you can underestimate the importance of the fact that this is a very unusual primary process. You have a former president who is back four years later running. He has a quasi-incumbency uh, aura yep. around him. And, and, and I, I think we just need to keep thinking about that because when, when you look at back at the polls in New Hampshire and Iowa in 2015, totally different situation, absolutely different situation. And there is obviously very high name recognition, very high uh, gut feeling on the part of a lot of his supporters that they want him back. And I, I just think that it's a very tall hill to climb in many ways for these other candidates. And we're just going back and forth from the, from the experts to say if she loses by double digits today and has five weeks until South Carolina, not a factor in Nevada, not on the ballot, how do you rationalize continuing to churn this out? So uh, I, one of those comments, I'll, I'll bring it up. Here is Nikki Haley this morning, about two hours ago, saying, asking that question. Cut 17. That's why I'm running, because Donald Trump doesn't beat Joe Biden right. in a general election. We beat him by double but digits. But in the real clear, he's up three points as the average of the most substantive polls in the country. 
up against Donald Joe. Trump beating Joe Biden by three points on the okay, and house. that's margin of error, Brian. We did that in in 2018. We did that in 2020. Right. We did that in 2022. I campaigned for a ton of candidates that were good, and we all lost right. because Donald Trump was the incumbent. We can't lose again. This is about November too, and sure. at the end of the day, a Kamala Harris presidency, we won't survive it. And you know, Wall Street Journal showed I was up by 17 points, and Donald Trump said it was a dirty poll. That was his pollster that did the poll. So she's uh, a little angry, a little uh, accusatory. I'm trying to think the best. Uh, you're, for number one, you asked a similar question. What is it going to take for her to win? Um, in fact, this is Martha McKell. you mind if I play a, a cut of Martha? Please. Cut 19. Cut 18. I've always been consistent on this. I wanted to be strong in Iowa. We started with 2%. We finished with 20%. I want to be even stronger in New Hampshire. And then I want to be stronger than that in South Carolina. This is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And you've got really the political and, and media elite saying everybody needs to coalesce around Donald Trump. He literally got 56,000 votes out of a state of 3 million. That's it. We're, we don't believe in coronations in this country. We believe in democracy. I'm in this for the long haul. That she said to you yesterday. And the question that I asked her was, do you expect to win tomorrow night? Because just a few weeks ago, that's what we were hearing, that it was going to be a landslide. That's what Governor Sununu said for Nikki Haley. She was absolutely going to win here. This is the place where she has the best chance of any state right now in the polls. So. You know, the idea that now those expectations have been managed down to a strong showing, which is what we heard from DeSantis as well, is not a great position to be in because she was expected to win here. Chris Christie at one point said he was going to win here. Um, You know, but but this is the easiest bar to pass for anyone who's in her position. Right. Who's a Republican who some people consider to be moderate. She says she's a conservative um, and she certainly has a conservative record. But the kind of people she appeals to, more urban, college-educated, this, this should be the place where she can win. Brett, mm-hmm. tonight, we knew we got Iowa right away. Do you think we're going to get an immediate result right away? Uh, is New Hampshire good at reporting? Are they very well organized? They are very well organized. It's a fairly small state, uh, and we should have a sense of things, you know, early evening based on our – Fox News voter analysis, once the raw vote total comes in, polls are closed at 8 o'clock. If this is what it may be, which is a big poll uh, for the former president, we will be able to make a call early uh, based on just raw numbers. Uh, if it is at all close, if it's in the single digits area, it's going to take a while right. to figure out what that is. If Nikki Haley is winning, this will be a long night because she'll win it narrowly. And it will be the most significant political upset of a long, long time. She would have to outperform John McCain with independence back in 2000, where you saw that surge of the Straight Talk Express Mm -hmm. uh, to defeat George W. Bush. And I think uh, I haven't seen all of that on the trail. There is some excitement behind Nikki Haley, but there is this incumbency effort of uh, the former president that carries a lot of weight and a short time between Iowa and New Hampshire benefits Trump. And there's two things that he did best, rolling out those South Carolina lawmakers that are on his side two days ago 
and converting his opponents to uh, allies and having them out there saying, meet Vivek, meet Doug Bergram, meet Senator Tim Scott. These guys are on my side now. He's trying to say, this is the wall that's facing you. Why don't you get that? Why don't you step down early to Nikki Haley? But like you said, that's a great way to put it. If she does pull off this upset, that would be titanic. Man, it changes things. Absolutely. Um, and I think he was strategic. And the people that are up on that stage, they're all people who had some traction at some point in New Hampshire. Um, and they're well-liked here generally. The thing I find really interesting is the reaction to DeSantis dropping out. He called Trump, or his people called Trump, the night that I interviewed him. And, and basically, they didn't pick up the phone. He's like, oh, I've got a rally to do. I'll talk to him another time. I said, you know, would you want him to come campaign with you? Nah, you know, not a big answer. Asked uh, Nikki the same thing. Have you guys had a phone conversation? That's generally what you would expect to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, look, I'm dropping out. You know, I, I'm going to support you in the case of Trump for DeSantis. Uh, I just find it interesting. I think there's a lot of bad blood and uh, not great feeling between those three at this point. Right. Uh, and towards us. Now, if it's okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, I want to play a clip that you had Friday night when we get back from Special Report, which I think backs up Nikki Haley's foreign policy from General Jack Keane, which talks about what's happening around the world. Nobody wants to talk about world events, but I think they're so significant in this election. And sadly, I think it's going to something's going to happen before uh, November. Well, you're listening to Brian Kilmeade Show on the road in New Hampshire with two of the best in the business, Martha and Brett, in that order, by the way. <laughs> On the road to 2024, the New Hampshire primary. Trump is superior to the current incumbent, Joe Biden. He has my endorsement. He was very gracious and he endorsed me. I appreciate that. The two-person race is on. He's just not at the same level he was at 2016. I think we're seeing some of that. Keep it here on the Brian Kilmeade Show. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. What's really happening is is Putin and the thugs around him are triumphant because they believe that the United States and the Europeans are showing signs of taking a knee, so to speak. They're not as determined and commitment. Not only that, he is he is absolutely making plans and beginning to set the conditions in Finland, in Latvia, in Estonia for what he did in 2014 that invited him into Crimea and also into eastern Ukraine. That is setting the conditions for an invasion into those countries, force NATO to respond to that and not respond effectively. This is where Putin's head is. And we've got to understand that this is much more than Ukraine, as the president of Ukraine, President Zelensky, said. Putin does have desires to break the transatlantic NATO treaty, and he has plans for that. The Germans just revealed secret plans about the very thing that I'm discussing right now in a public forum. That's the reality of what we're facing here. If we walk away from Ukraine, Russia wins. So I tape... uh I taped your show Friday night and watched it back, and I thought that was the most significant uh, interview with General Keene because Brett Baer, nobody's talking about this. Everybody, it's not politically good to talk about it, but it is so important to me uh, personally, and I think anyone who thinks about our foreign policy, that we just back the Ukrainians to do what they do best, and that's fight for their own freedom. 
And I'm not I'm, I think it's a great idea to use the leverage of the border. I think that's also in our national interest. But my goodness, give these people the weapons to survive. Yeah. And so that's the pitch that's getting drowned out on Capitol Hill. There's a lot of uh, Republicans who are feeling pressure from not only the former president, but uh, the electorate that has been convinced that this is a waste of money. Now, to hear General Keene talk about it, I mean, U.S. troops, if there is a move on any of these other countries that are NATO members, by Article 5, we are in the game. And it's a different ball game, and it's a ton more money uh, for the U.S. to spend. Is there a, a call for transparency, for trying to figure out where exactly the money's going? Sure. Yes. Is there accounting that's needed? Yes. But are we putting U.S. troops on the ground in Kiev? No. And uh, that's the difference. Our, Nikki Haley tries to make that point, but it's just not a point that's well-received on the primary trail. Martha, I mean, people should see that it's not a... It's not really a opinion that comes out of General Keene. It's intelligence that he's acquired. Well, it, you know, it's interesting that he talked about those German documents that were leaked that showed basically the plan to build a land bridge from, from Russia all the way through and to cut that area in two, essentially, in order to take more territory. I think it's it's clear that, that Putin has that dream of restoring really the empire more you mean than it's the not Soviet to stop Union. the Nazis um, but I but I also think that just the sentiment that you hear around the country is that they there's a feeling that we haven't been all that successful in these efforts in Afghanistan in Iraq um, and and in both of those situations as well public opinion went against the effort right and you can go all the way back to Vietnam on that but I hear a lot when I talk to voters that they do not want to be involved in foreign wars and clearly President Trump hears that message and I think that's what he's working with as he tries to secure the nomination but if something were to happen of a lot of a larger right. uh, incursion, um, obviously, this story would be very different, and then Article Five would be tested. It's never been tested before. You know, it's never. also on the f- on the feet of President Biden. It is his issue. Yes. If he can't get on the bully pulpit Ever. and make the case for why you have to do it again and again and again, do you remember President Bush, who was down in the twenties of approval rating? I was covering that White House, and he was making calls to double down in Iraq, to double down in Afghanistan, and there was no one. No one wanted that to happen. But at least he was leading, and trying. Right. President Biden was asked about these issues the other day in Pennsylvania, and he was sort of talking into a bookcase about it, like leaning (laughs) over and drinking a smoothie and talking into a bookcase about these enormous issues. He does need to articulate Israel and Ukraine more clearly. Martha McCallum, Brett Baer, will watch your coverage all night long. Thanks, Thanks, guys. guys. Stay within yourself. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The Democratic National Committee has said that the the primary, the Democratic primary here, is not relevant or real, and I think that's just nonsense. You're disappointed this year not to have the Democratic primary, and that's why we're doing this, because it's not meaningless like the DNC says. I'm annoyed that the Biden and the DNC people did this, because I think they're going to rue the day. 
Uh, that is just some random voters in New Hampshire, Democratic voters who are really upset that they don't have a chance to have a primary, you know, if, or a coronation, even for uh, the sitting president of the United States. Dean Phillips is also uh, equally upset, a congressman from Minnesota who thought that his party would be better off being led by somebody else. For about two, mo- about two months ago, I watched you. Was it Meet the Press or was it the, uh, or was it it was Meet the Press? Meet the press. You came out and told your story. Said uh, the president is not electable, or you're really concerned. I don't think he's going to win. You don't want Donald Trump to win, and you said we need somebody to step up. And they kind of indicated, what about you? you go, well, I don't think I want to do it. Right. After it became clear, you no one was stepping up. You said I am in. Since that time, what gains have you made? And first of all, not only that, I invited others in. I mean, called them directly. And you were going to support them. Well, sure, because, you know, in this in this business, name recognition means a lot. You know, we started this journey 10 weeks ago, zero name recognition, zero in the polls. <clears throat> and I think tonight we're going to surprise. And so they expect you to get about 10 percent, it hey, says, in the polls. I think we're going to do better, but I like to underpromise and overdeliver. I think what's really important is the polls show Biden very weak. And this is the first time that American voters will actually opine. Ironically, he chose not to be on the ballot here. I mean, we were just hearing that. It's nonsense. The DNC literally sent a letter to Democrats in the state calling this event today meaningless. You know, this is my party. And, and, and by the way, this is a state both, pre- both parties need to win the presidency. Well, darn right. And I cannot believe my party in this case is saying to Democratic voters that it's meaningless and your vote doesn't count, won't seat your delegates. In fact... The New Hampshire Secretary of State just a few days ago had to send a cease and desist letter to the DNC for the unlawful suppression of voters. That's what's going on. So four years ago, right before the pandemic, we were at this very building, and not only did Joe Biden not win, he didn't even stay around for the result. He was already gone. So they thought he was done. You want proof? SNL did a cold open where Jason Sudeikis played Biden as an old man totally detached from reality. When he became the nominee, they suddenly put somebody normal with him because they were afraid of even showing what they used to do with Reagan and make fun of the fact that he was old. Things dramatically changed. What were you thinking when that happened, when it seemed like the DNC hand-selected him and put him there, just like they pulled Hillary away from mm-hmm. Bernie? Well, look, I, I, we, everybody listening knows this. Our country was founded, founded on the notion that we would not have coronations. Our founders wanted no more kings or queens. They wanted voters to choose their leaders. So when a party coronates a candidate, as mine is doing right now, uh, I'm going to call BS, and I'm going to stand up, and I'm going to participate because that's the responsibility of all Americans. I mean, talk about patriotism and why my colleagues uh, lacked the courage to do so is deeply troubling. And there's such a distinction between those Americans willing to stand in harm's way physically. I lost my dad in Vietnam, for goodness sakes, one of a million Americans to give his life to our country. How old were you at the time? I was six months old. My mom was 24 and widowed, and we had nowhere to go. We was lived he, with my great-grandparents. He, no, he needed – he couldn't afford college, Brian. He, he wanted to be an attorney, could not afford the price of college, went to the University of Minnesota Law School by earning an ROTC scholarship. I mean, really a great example of how our government can be helpful mm-hmm. in getting people a, a start in their lives and then send them to halfway around the world uh, to a battle that in hindsight seems really meaningless uh, where he lost his life. So my point is – we have so many Americans who stand in harm's way, first right. responders, those who join the military. But then we have a political class that shows no courage at all. And I'm just disappointed. I'm trying to lead by example. And, no, it's not easy. It's not supposed to be. But it's the most important journey of my life. Just on a person, your personal story, how old was your mom at the time? 24. She's 20, 24. Mm-hmm. Was she working? 
She actually did. She was in the, ironically, in the radio business in Philadelphia. My dad was stationed uh, outside of Philly for a while. Uh, she was a reporter uh, for a, a Philly AM radio station. So your whole life has been almost like the time you were cognizant of five alarm fire. You know, your mom trying to do yeah. two roles, right? Yeah, that's right. But, you know, I'm unlike most kids, uh, Gold Star children, those who lost their dads in Vietnam, kids who lost their moms or dad in Iraq or Afghanistan. I can't imagine, Brian, that there's anybody who got as lucky as I did. My mom remarried when I was three. Uh, a wonderful father, Eddie Phillips, brought me into a, an extraordinary family. Many blessings. You know, I just don't think it should take a stroke of good luck or being born in the right zip code. Right. That really gives people a chance. And I know I'm lucky, uh, fortunate. I've worked my tail off, but I think it's a responsibility of people like me to lead by example and give others a chance. How did you begin to break out and make the money and have the success you had right now? So, yeah, well, I was raised in a family that had high expectations of me. Uh, actually, my, my grandma was Dear Abby, and my aunt was Ann Landers, the advice columnist. Are so you I had kidding a lot me? In fact, you'll appreciate this. I became a Democrat, well, subtly, I should say, in 1980. I go to middle school. I'm 11 years old. And who shows up at our school auditorium for assembly? Then Congressman John Anderson, running as an independent, the Republican from Illinois, running as an independent for president. And it was the first time any of us in school had seen a presidential candidate. And that night, we had a family dinner, four generations of my family, downtown Minneapolis, sat next to my grandmother, Abby, dear Abby. She asked about my day. I said, Grandma, it was amazing. The next president of the United States came to speak to us. And she said, Honey, if he's speaking to middle schoolers this close to the election, he ain't going to win. <laughs> <laughs> and then she says, Are you a Democrat or Republican? And I said, Grandma, I'm 11. I don't even know what those are. She said, You're a Democrat. Oh, and I'm wow. So 1980, she anointed me. Uh, Democrat. So I grew up in a family like that of great, great blessings. I had a grandfather who told me that, Dean, money is like manure. If you stack it up, it stinks. But if you spread it out, it fertilizes. And that was kind of the family ethos. Uh, By the way, I've never heard that. Am I, is, did you guys write that? I've never, I, don't, I mean, I've never he heard that. Have. I've never heard that before. I should probably write it down before you take it from I know. Me. No, I, listen, <laughs> uh, you could trust me. Yeah. Uh, just because Nikki Haley says I don't tell the truth doesn't necessarily mean oh, I don't you're, tell you're, the truth. Yeah. But but so so spread out. That's a, that's yeah. a great it's, thing. It's, so. And it's kind of a nice, you know. That is the, that's how we you know, ran our businesses, our philanthropy, and now in, in Congress, I act. And you asked about. I, I went to college and I, I graduated. Worked at a startup business, which, by the way, which best, was which it was a, it was called In Motion. It was a bicycle apparel business. Uh, a great great experience for what I'm doing right now. Talking about starting from scratch yeah. and the ups and downs of a, a, a upstart enterprise. Then entered our family business, which is Distilled Spirits. Uh, we introduced Belvedere Vodka in 1994. Ended up selling it to Louis Vuitton, Maud Hennessy. Uh, applied the same template to disrupt a category to the ice cream category. Uh, introduced Talenti Gelato, established by my uh, colleague uh, Josh Hochschuler in, in Dallas. Built that, sold it to Unilever. Then I opened some coffee shops, and then that's kind of the, the rest is history. If, you, if nothing else, people can't say, I don't know what Americans want. Absolutely, or the mistakes you made and how to get regulation out of the way, how, yeah. to, how to live up to a lease, yeah. uh, how to uh, handle a, a patent, and all these, all these little nuances, and also the stress of knowing i got a payroll. Exactly, And Brian. I'm not sure that I'm going to be able to pay it this month. I hope my bet works out. Brian, that's why I'm a Democrat who's trying to create this bridge between hardworking entrepreneurs who are actually trying to help others pursue the American dream. I, there's, there's this lack of understanding and listening to one another. I know how hard it is to start a small business. I mean, it is. It's harder to run and start a small business right. than it is a big business, for goodness sakes. Our regulations, our, uh, our systems, I think, I think every city should have a, an office dedicated 
to reducing the barriers to entry for small business owners but instead you have, of raising them. But you have to know how to do it in order yeah. to know what they need. And I'll give you an example that I think would, uh, works well with this, mm-hmm. and that's Phil Knight's book he wrote. Oh, yeah. Uh, I went and did a uh, whole day with him, and he wrote the book Shoe Dog. Oh. And he said, you know how I started my business? I filled in an application and asked my sister to drop it off, and he started a shoe business, $500. That five hundred dollars, and he brought it down, and he said, "I don't even remember the day, but my sister reminded me." He goes, "Yeah, you just asked me to drop it off at the town, so wow. he drops it over the town or the city or whatever, the county, whatever he did. And didn't think of it. He goes, "Now I, you know, would, I need a lawyer. Need a lawyer. I need a lawyer yeah. started, and then people are going to challenge me, and things are going to happen. And, and banks then, only and the, loan money to people who don't need it. Yeah, and he also said to me too. He goes, "You know, back then banks were like, okay." You're going to pay me back every month. There was no financing mm-hmm. and things to that nature. So every month it was a, it was a, everyone pulling their hair out to try to get the money to keep Nike alive. Yeah. But and I said, how were those days? He goes, unbelievable. He goes, invigorating. I miss them. I go, yeah. wow, you miss the stress. Mm-hmm. I go, instead of this luxury that you're living in and this campus that you're on. He goes, no, those were the days. And he's absolutely. It's analogous to what I'm doing right now. I mean, we're ten weeks into a brand new campaign. Started it just two weeks before I declared my candidacy. And that's what it's like. It's not luxurious. It's darn difficult. And it's beautiful. And right. look, we all know if you don't go through some trials, you know, right. uh, if, you don't, if you don't walk through the rain, you're never going to get to the rainbow. Well, I'll tell you. Um, oh, wait. You did got, You guys did give me a clock. Oh, you took it down, Tom. You didn't you? I, I, the only we're thing having I so much fun. It, we're going to Yeah, the only time I asked for it is a clock. There you go. Oh, there it goes. <laughs> but you were watching it. I can't see it. Um, real quick on this. So what makes you a Democrat today? Because... A Democrat today, I think of green energy. The Democrat today, I think of electric cars. The Democrat today, I think of uh, open borders. A Democrat uh, uh, today, I think of somebody who feels as though the wealthy like you aren't taxed enough. Where do you fit in this? Well, first of all, you know, I'm a Democrat for a number of reasons. My family's a Jewish family. Uh, you can imagine very much influenced by mid-century, last-century America uh, after the Holocaust, uh, Hubert Humphrey. Is, I, why am I a Democrat? Hubert Humphrey is a perfect example. Someone who did some extraordinary things. One of the nicest men people say they'd yeah. ever walked the yeah, earth. Yeah, a happy warrior. Uh, a gentleman, a smart man, a strong man. But I, and, and it was his line, his, his quotation is, uh, the moral test of a government is how it treats those in the dawn of life, the dusk of life, and in the shadows of life. And if you think about that, that is, that's why I'm a Democrat. Now, do I think that many policies over the years, as they build up on each other, have gone way too broad and way too far? Possibly. But I don't think we've achieved that objective, in my estimation, which is to have equality of opportunity. We may not have equality of outcome. That's socialism and communism. You never so, have a – Right. Yeah. And, and I am a Democrat. I'm proud of that. I want to give people opportunity so that they can seize it and do with it what they can. But look, I've been to the southern border twice. It's a disaster. I believe in fiscal responsibility. I believe in term limits. I believe in a strong national defense. I support our police officers and our military. Uh, that does not make any – and nobody in this country is a purist. In fact, I can't really understand sometimes which each party really stands for. And I think most of this country, I would call us the exhausted majority. Somewhere center-right, somewhere mm-hmm. center-left. Do you consider yourself center-left? Why can, I, I, yeah, I, well, I consider myself – centrism is, seems like it's a dirty word. It makes you like milk toast. But actually, I think it's actually strong because it means I have the courage to believe some things that may not be my party orthodoxy. Mm. And yet I also have some – you know, I have empathy, obviously, as someone on the left. But the absence of a party, I guess you could say, that really represents the broad cross-section of this country, which, by the way, is overwhelming now independent – 
is part of the problem. George Washington warned us against factions. And I think our factions, our two political parties, are pulling us in different directions rather than identifying problems, coming up with solutions. And that's why I serve on the Problem Solvers Caucus. I was the vice chair, 32 Democrats, 32 Republicans. We love each other. We work together. We, if, if, if our Congress was just comprised of people like us, we could be getting to work and solving problems, many of them using mm. a combination of perspectives. And I believe in mm. conservation. I believe in conservatism. But I also believe in some progress and progressivism right. that I think we can match. Democratic congressman from Minnesota, uh, Dean Phillips, is running for the presidency. Uh, he hopes to win the primary today against the writing candidate named Joe Biden uh, and not pro-Palestinian. Evidently, there's some type of write-in. Uh, uh, ceasefire. Ceasefire. Uh, you listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, back in a moment with the big question that uh, Dean might not want to answer. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. And I want to say one thing to your children. I know some really great ice cream places around here. And I ate Jenny's ice cream, chocolate chip. I came down because I heard there was chocolate chip ice cream. By the way, I have a whole refrigerator full upstairs. You think I'm kidding? I'm not. So that's the President of the United States talking policy. Uh, but uh, the, the policy... Ice cream policy. Right. But Congressman Phillips, you made some of the, your great uh, successes come with gelato, mm-hmm. a form of ice cream, according to experts. Uh, would you <laughs> offer the President of the United States, has been speculated, uh, a lifetime subscription to your gelato fortune, <laughs> not your money, but your actual gelato, to drop out and not run for re-election, well, and then, then you'll have a better chance? Uh, the, well, let, let me tell you a story, and I'll get to your question. This, there's actually a great Biden ice cream story I can tell you. Right after uh, we killed bin Laden, which was you know, obviously about, what, 12, 13 years ago, Joe Biden came to my home. I hosted this is well before I even would have considered running for Congress. I was enjoying my business career back in Minneapolis, and I hosted a fundraiser for Joe Biden. My first big event, I had to introduce him. I was nervous. I had Walter Mondale in my house, and he sat, spent some time with my kids, was very cordial, friendly. Uh, guests started gathering, and lo and behold, 15 minutes later, nobody could find the vice president. Nobody could find him. Secret Service couldn't find him. I couldn't find him. And we were looking through the whole house. Lo and behold, I walk into my garage, and he is sitting with the catering people who had come to cater this event, sitting on a car chair, eating ice cream, shooting the breeze. Are you kidding me? And I share this with you, and I share this with you because I do want listeners to know he's a nice man. He's a good man. He's a friendly man. He would have rather spent that whole time with the catering team in the garage, not with the donors in the house. And I share that about him just because I do want you to know what kind of heart I do mm-hmm. believe he has. But to answer your question directly, yes. <laughs> I give him, I, and, and in fact, that's what I tried to do, Brian. I, I In July of 2022, uh, I was the first Democrat to simply call for him to step aside. He had inferred he would. You know, his decline is obvious. His poll numbers are terrible. His approval numbers even worse. And I think it's really an egregious affront to his own legacy, I mm-hmm. think, to my party, and ultimately, I think, to the country. So, yes, I would give him some ice cream, uh, some Belvedere, and some coffee just to incentivize uh, retirement. And I say that thoughtfully and respectfully. Right. But the only I believe in competition, and this is my contention. We've seen a really a spirited GOP competition, the way it should be. You know, most have dropped out now. Now it's just Haley and Trump. 
But that's what creates interest, excitement. People get engaged. I went to the Trump rally the other night. What did you I told you? I, it was it was fascinating, Brian. It was my first one. I saw, it was across the street from where mine was. Saw the huge line of people waiting for hours in the cold. And I thought, what the heck? I'm the kind of leader that goes to the fire. I didn't know how I'd be received. I'm telling you, we spoke with maybe 50 people. Every one of them, cordial, friendly, welcoming Americans. Diverse group. Yeah. Many of them there for the first time. And I got to tell you, it actually made me really psyched to pursue this. Because you think that, you could win people over yes, and you're not much different than them. By invitation. Right. And and that's my contention that we got to do this differently. I just don't think Joe Biden has restored the soul of the nation. And I don't think Donald Trump has that ability. I think we're off the script. I think that with a, an older president and uh, at 80, uh, finally clearly lost his fastball and his sinker. And then you have another president who's looking at uh, four indictments and 91 charges. We don't know what these next months going to be. Exactly. From your perspective, what scenarios are you prepared for? Besides running, yeah. are you prepared for that dramatic announcement? We're making a change. I've made another decision. And are you do you have a plan for that? Well, I'm going to pursue. This is this tonight is a beginning, not an end. I think we're going to do better than most are suspecting. I like to underpromise and overdeliver. I know that's novel in politics. Uh, we're going to continue. I need to introduce myself. Most of America does not even know me. So if you don't know someone, how can you trust them enough to? Are you getting on the other shows? Are you getting on the other networks? Why? Well, I, I will be forthright. Uh, Fox, News Nation has been much more generous than MSNBC, which, right. from which I've not received a single invitation since I declared my candidacy. And Brian. I'm the ranking member of the Middle East Subcommittee on Foreign Affairs with a kidding? war and a former member of House Democratic leadership until I resigned. So, uh, you know, there's a clearly some right. intent to deplatform. Two things we have in common. Number one, Harvey McKay is a great guy from Minnesota. Right Number and two is Mr. our friend Talkington walks on uh, water in my house. Oh, I and love Hubert Humphrey. Uh, Hubert Humphrey was the person that my dad looked up to most. So did my mom. As we got a, so much more to talk about. Even I got though we're from New York, I got a good Viking story for you next time. Congressman Phillips, thank you. Thank you. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.